0: the most one of the most painful things that have ever happened to me was to see my only brother biological brother killed at 29 years old a few months after going in and out of prison so long so much during his adult life that I barely got a chance to see him the last conversation that we had I was pleading with him because my salvation was becoming more and more sure for me and his was becoming more and more in doubt to me and I said to him I said champ that's his name <clears throat> that's his nickname I said champ it's real man and my brother looked at me and he said deuce that's my nickname he said deuce it, It just doesn't work for me I don't know what that means because we grew up the same way we grew up listening to the son of a preacher I mean the the, preacher we were the sons of a preacher we were heavily indoctrinated by the Christian faith we both said the prayer we both went my, my father to evangelizing to learn how to do it we both ran away from my father believing that his way was a little too narrow But neither one of us claimed that we were walking away from God. We just thought we were walking away from a father whose spankings were a little too rough. My brother wound up in a place where the last conversation I had was a conversation where I wondered, do you have life? And he left me in question. This kind of conversation happens a lot with people. We try to argue about who saved, who truly has life, who has eternal life, who has God's life in them. I remember watching Whitney Houston's funeral. Pastor Marvin Alvinans did the funeral. And he assured everyone that we were looking at one who belonged to the king. Tyler Perry got up, I believe it was, and assured us that Whitney was with the king. We, we debate, are they or aren't they? Do you or don't you? A few days ago, there was a guy interviewing Will Smith. You know, Will's in the news. Will and Jada's in the news. You know what they're in the news for if you know what they're in the news for. And so the guy said, hey, man, people ask me all the time, man, does Will love the Lord? I mean, I'm like, yes, Will loves the Lord. Don't you love the Lord? Will said, well, you don't get where I've gotten if it wasn't for the Lord. And you could see the nervousness on his face. I'm not here to judge whether or not Whitney, whether or not Will Smith, whether even or not my brother had life. I'm here to say that this issue makes me think about me making sure that i have life rather than us arguing about who has life today john the apostle wants you to know that you have life this whole letter this whole series that we've been walking through is so that you may know that you have eternal life if you claim that you believe in jesus the son and so today, what I'd like to do is I would look, like to look at the authentication of the Christian belief and then the assurance of Christian believers, the authentication of Christian belief and the assurance of Christian believers. First, <clears throat> confident Christians have experienced what the Bible would call the new birth, and they evidence it. Confidence. You can have confidence that you have eternal life if you have experienced the new birth, and what gives you confidence is you evidence it. Verse 1 of chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? What John the Apostle does in these verses is he introduces something called the experience of the new birth, being born of God. Verse 1 who believes in Jesus Christ, they have been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves the people that have been born of God. Verse four, everyone who has been born of God overcomes. There's an experience called being born of God or what we call the new birth. Theological language would say regeneration, where God takes a corpse and gives it life again. And that corpse is able to come back to life, spiritually speaking, one day, actually, physically speaking. Christianity 101, we're just going back to the basics because John does. He wants you to know one of the simplest, one of the most basic Christian truths are you must be born again. This comes out of his gospel, because the one that wrote this letter also wrote a gospel, the gospel of John. And in chapter 3, he tells us about an ultra-religious man. His name was Nicodemus. It says he was a ruler of the Jews. So in today's culture, he would boast, I'm an Israelite. (laughs) He would have all of the things going for him among that discussion about Israelites. And then he was a ruler of the Israelites, a ruler of the Jews. He was a Pharisee, which means he took his Torah seriously. And it says that he was a teacher, a Pharisee, a ruler, and he was complimentary of the Lord Jesus. And when he went to Jesus, he said, Jesus, I know you are the man. I like you a lot. Everybody thinks highly of you because nobody could do what you do unless God was with him. And the Lord Jesus said, cut the small talk, Nick. You must be born again. In other words, you need more than good church attendance. You need more than good feelings about religious things. We need more than good deeds. We need more than a good job. You need more than to be born from the right family or the right ancestry. You need a birth all over again. This is Christianity 101. Every religion has to contend with, have I been born again? I know I'm loyal. I know I'm sincere. I know I do what I'm supposed to do. But have I had a second birth? If you've ever had a child with special needs as I do, you sometimes, especially if it happened through a complication of what happened at birth, you say to yourself, I wish we could do this all over again. In my case, my daughter, she was deprived of oxygen for so long that it messed with part of her brain. So she has a mild version of, or I should say a version of CP. Sometimes I say, I wish she could be born all over again. You do that when whatever happened first is not to your liking. You're like, I wish I could be born a second time. That's what the Bible says. Christian doctrine says that we were born dead in trespasses and sins that we were born to God. Romans 5 said we inherited sinful tendencies from Adam who sinned, and we inherited the penalty for it, guaranteed death. The Bible would say that you and I come in blind so when Jesus was on earth, he healed blind people as a way to say the one who can heal this blind man can heal your spiritual blindness because you were born blind. The Bible says that when you come in as a natural person, just coming out mommy and daddy, coming from mommy and daddy, that you have your em- enmity with God. Meaning you and God have beef and you don't like God and God has a problem with you because of your deadness to him. The Bible says that that's what the natural person person has. So the Bible says you're dead to God and you're alive to you. You're dead to God and you're alive to TV and culture. We're dead. And so the only thing that can change that is to be born anew. You must be born again. This is 101. And that's what John does. He says everybody who's had the experience of being born again, they look like something. They act like something. They believe something. George Whitfield, please don't cancel George Whitfield. Some of you know the, the, the things that would make a person cancel George Whitfield. Don't, but I like the fact that one day George Whitfield would go around telling people, you must be born again, you must be born again, you must be born again. And finally a kid came up to him and they said, how come you just keep going around talking about you must be born again? And then he looked at him and said, because you must be born again. John, in the first chapter of his gospel, said, let me describe what born again means. Jesus came to his own people, born through the same Abrahamic lineage, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, born through Abrahamic lineage or not, all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become his children. Children of God. Listen. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. It says no human decided that the second birth would take place. No human could produce the second birth that you and I need. So. You have confidence as a Christian if you've experienced the second birth, but then you also have to evidence it. And so in John's letter, he looks at the evidences of people who've been born anew in ways that are doctrinal, what they believe, in ways that are social, how they love their fellows, in ways that are ethical what they do do they obey do they obey so in verse 1 he says everyone who believes that jesus is the christ has been born you have to doctrinally hold to this concept that jesus is the christ and in verse 5 he says who overcomes the world the person that believes that jesus is the son of god first of all he says everyone no one's unincluded You don't have to vote the same, we don't have to live in the same place, we don't have to like the same music, we don't have to like the same fashion, but there's something that everybody has to submit to. And that is, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ and Jesus is the Son of God? There was a man named Peter. He was a disciple. The Lord Jesus said, Peter, who do people say I am Peter said, well, they say you're a whole bunch of stuff. Some say you're Elijah. That's a great prophet. Some say John the Baptist. That's a great prophet. Some people say you're one of the prophets. Those are just great people. He says, but who do you say I am? He says, I say you're Christ, son of the living God. Jesus says, bingo, you have it right, but flesh and blood didn't give it to you. That is insight from my father. He gives it to the new birth ones. Everyone has to believe this. And all through the New Testament, read Acts when you go home. All through Acts, they talk about Jesus from Nazareth. Jesus from Nazareth. You know why? Because Jesus was a common Jewish name. Before Jesus, when you heard Jesus, you didn't know which Jesus you were talking about. Now, Jesus is a Greek transliteration of Joshua, which is a transliteration of Yahshua, or some version of that. So some people prefer to always call him by his Hebrew name, Yahshua. But Yahshua was a common name. Hey, Yahshua, you know Yahshua? Yeah, I was just hanging with Yahshua. Hey, I'm going to call up my man, Yahshua. How many Yahshua's? Oh, we all Yahshua in here, right? It wasn't until Jesus came and put Yahshua on the map that when you think Yahshua, you start thinking of Jesus. It's almost like people with one name now, right? If somebody says, hey, you know Kobe? You say, what, Kobe Bryant? No, Kobe Johnson, that's my neighbor. Like, no, I don't know. Why would you just say Kobe. Like you know there's only one Kobe, even though there's many Kobe's. You know Shaq? Oh I know Shaq. Shaq, Shaq Green, right? No, 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 no. Shaq O'Neal. Jesus. You know Jesus, right? Which one? <laughs> right today, you just say, Oh, Jesus? Oh, we're talking about Jesus who is the Christ. He says, whoever believes. And it's in the continuous tense. Whoever maintains their belief that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the son of God. To be the Christ, that's a Greek way of saying Messiah. To be Messiah was a way of saying that Jesus was who God chose to be the chief of all his particular offices. So a a, a Jew would understand that Messiah was the one who would get anointed. It means to be anointed. And if you know this already, just for the sake of people who don't know, because we're losing basics today... The Bible makes clear that the anointed is the chosen, the one who got the oil poured on their head, symbolizing you're uniquely mine. So Yahweh would go to prophets and say, there's a lot of prophets around, but you're my prophet. There were priests. There are a lot of priests around, but you're my priest. There are kings. There are a lot of kings around, but you're my king. Well, Yahweh said, one day, I'm going to have a prophet, priest, and king all rolled up into one. He will be the Christ the messiah and when jesus came the apostles and the 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 witnesses said do you believe that he is the 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 peak the pinnacle nobody coming after him the christ son of the living god to be son of the living god means something too we'll get to that later but the evidence is one what you believe but then he goes on and he says i know you got doctrinal accuracy but Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born. The doctrinal falls into the, 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 the social. Everyone who believes the right stuff shows it by loving people who believe the right stuff. The reason why we have a church is because the church is the assembling of people who all say Jesus is the Christ, son of the living God. And then you feel this unique love for one another. And God says, now I want you all to know that if you love and believe what the father says, then you'll love and believe the family. Doctrinal, social. And then he says this, when we love God by this verse two, we know that we love God. The children of God when we love God and obey his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments And this is interesting because usually it says you know if you love God if you keep his commandments If you love God you'll love his children here It says if you love God's children, you'll love God that's reversed and I can't fully explain it But what we know is that love of God and love of his people love of his children go together And the way you prove that you love God and God's people is that when you see uh, God's sons, they can tell you love their father. (laughs) Ah, Listen, I had a friend of mine named, there's a friend of mine named Jack, Josh Kranz. His father is Jack Kranz. Jack Kranz is a, a minister in Coatesville, Pennsylvania. Coatesville is just, they, one time it was the murder capital per capita. It was the murder capital. Coatesville is a rugged place. Jack Kranz is a legend there because he has served Coatesville in the prisons, he served in the streets, he served in the communities, he served among the police force, he served. Everybody loves Jack. One day, his son Josh got mugged. As they took his wallet to mug him, they found out that he was the son of Jack. <clears throat> they said, wait, Kranz? You know Jack Kranz? He said, that's my pops. They said, oh, and they gave him everything back. <laughs> they were loving on the son because they loved the father. <clears throat> he says, when you... Love the sons, you're demonstrating that the only reason why I love you who I don't know is because I love the father that we have in common. He says, this is how you know you keep my commands. What this means is that when you say you love God, the evidence is not how fuzzy you get. Now I'm just gonna be honest, take this jab and don't tune me out for the rest of the sermon. Every now and then during the time where we sing to the God we love, I look around, I say, it feels kind of cold in here sometimes. I'm like, why does it feel like the love for God is not what's driving the vocals right now? A few people, but not everybody. This is almost as though we're just singing the words on the song, not we're being driven by our love for the Father. But the sentiment is not what's emphasized here. It's the moral. It's what you do. Again, every now and then, people will say, I love the Lord. And then you look at their lives. Oh, I lost somebody. I'm sorry. (laughs) Then you look at their lives. And when you look at their lives, you say... Man, like you say you love the Lord, but you seem to disregard everything that he says don't do. Your sin is not bothering you, which is a sign that you love the Lord. I remember when I first started realizing, oh, snap, I love the Lord. Why? Because all of a sudden my sin started bothering me because it bothers him. Everyone said, but that's all right. Everybody does it. Right, now there's something else going on in me because I know I could get away with it and I know everybody does it, but he doesn't like it. And now all of a sudden it's bothering me that I like it. He says, this is how you know. And then he goes on to say, and his commandments are not burdensome, verse four, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. He says, and when you love him, his, his, his prescriptions, his parameters are not oppressive laws. They are loving guidelines, guardrails to keep you safe. He says they're not burdensome. Verse 4, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and the world's grip on you loosens I remember when I was in the world, you and I. We were in the world and we did what the world did. Then our love for God increased and our loyalty to the world diminished. She says, everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. The faith that you have that Jesus is the Christ, son of God, which makes you one of God's. Victory is mine. Verse 5, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Every now and then, because we're Americans, we don't want to be too arrogant and too exclusive. But there are things that the Bible says that are exclusive. And yes, if we're wrong, then we're wrong. But if the Bible is true and we're right about it, then the world needs to heed the truth. 5 says the ones who overcome the world are only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. So he comes back to Jesus. Jesus, the human name. Christ is the anointing that allows him to fulfill the mission. And son of God is the essence of who he is. Jesus is God, not God Jr. To say Jesus is the son of God doesn't mean that he's a lesser God. To say that he's the son of God doesn't mean that he's kind of like on his way to Godness. It doesn't mean that he's mighty, but he's not almighty. It doesn't mean that he's something other than equal with the Father in his essence. Son is a relational term. It's a functional term. And my son is in the back right now, and we have different functions. Right now, I'm preaching. He's working on the media. But if they were to do a DNA test and say, who's more human? I would not be more human and he would not be less human because essentially we're equal even though functionally we're distinct. Jesus says, I am God the Son. The Son talks about how I relate to the Father, but Godness is who I am in my essence. Do you believe that? That's what the Bible would say. You have confidence if you've experienced a new birth and you've evidenced it. Confident Christians also believe this testimony about Jesus because it is the testimony about Jesus not just because they decide I don't see any problem with that look at verse 6 this is he who came by water and blood Jesus Christ not by water only but by water and blood and the spirit is the one who testifies because the spirit is truth for there are three that testify the spirit the water and the blood and these three agree let me skip down some may say I don't like doctrinal hair splitting you know, all of these details, you sound like, I mean, what, a professor or something? What, you a professor or something? All they need to know is, I believe. I believe I could fly. I believe I could touch the sky. I think about it every night and day. <laughs> no, you can't just believe. People say, oh, I, I believe. I, I've always believed. Believe what? I, I, I believe. I believe. I just, you can't just believe. You have to believe something. And what God does is he says, and I'll tell you what to believe. I want you to believe what I say about him. So I'm going to send some testifiers. And so here's the testimony. Over 10 times in these little 6 to 12, you see the word, some version of testify or bear witness to. He says, first of all, I sent the water and the blood to testify to who Jesus is and which Jesus I'm talking about. This is hard, but... You have to know about the heresy that was going on. I assume that you all covered that, but if you didn't sit through the series, you may not know. There were people in this community that taught that Jesus was just a man. At baptism, the Christ in the form of a dove came on him. And then at crucifixion, the Christ left him. For them, Jesus was just a man who got the Christ on him. And Christ left him, and so on the cross was just Jesus the man. Well, what John is saying is, no, no, no. (laughs) Let me take you back to the baptism. The baptism says that God sent a man named Jesus who was already his son to the baptism. It says he came by water. He came to the water as God's son. And he came to the cross as God's son. And he went through the water that he came to as God's son. And he went on the cross and died, it was buried and rose as God's son. And the Spirit of God testified all four places in the Gospels. Not everything shows up in four Gospels, the baptism does. Because the baptism wants you to know that God's son went to the water. You have to know that because it's essential. Everybody has to believe it. So no gospel left it out. And no gospel leaves out Jesus going to the cross, being buried and raised, because that's essential. So all four gospels cover both of these events. When he went to the water, God the Father from heaven quoted from two two, two passages of scripture. He quoted from Psalm 2 where it says, you are my son. You are my son. That's to say Jesus is God's son. And in Isaiah 42, he says, you are my servant and I put my spirit on you. This is Jesus, the son is also the servant. Which means that it's in his servanthood that he lays his life down. But it's in his sonship that he's got the power to pick it back up. Uh. It is the divineness of Jesus that makes his death more than just the death of a man. But it is the humanness, the service of Jesus that makes him willing to and able to lay his life down and shed blood. The Spirit said, I made sure none of y'all missed it. Verse 8. Verse seven, and the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. Nine, if we have received the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that He is born concerning His sin. He says, now, if you have a different view, like the people who were in John's church, He says, you're saying that God lied because this is what God says about His own Son. But you listen to men. I have a good friend in due time. It'll come out and you'll hear about it. He, he says, I no longer believe in Jesus. People would be flabbergasted if they knew who it was. And then one day he's going to come out and he'll tell everybody. But he's always telling me what men say. I say, you seem to have forgotten that God has a stronger testimony than men. He said, well, I believe that that's more like... That seems more believable than the notion of God saying it. Again, you won't even believe who said it. He says, if you receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. This is the testimony of God. Verse 10, whoever believes in the son has this testimony in himself. So inside, inside you, when God is at work, you believe this with your whole heart and you keep believing it. Dahadi and I have a, a professor that we love from Dallas Theological. His, one of his favorite lines was, don't tell me what you believed, tell me what you're believing. Whoever believes, he says believes in. This word is a Greek word that means believe into him. Whoever believes maintains belief into Christ. A lot of people believe in the facts about Christ, but they're not believing in him. Verse 11, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son does not have life. This lets you know just how serious this thing about Jesus is. This lets you know that all the religions have to bow down to this truth. There are a lot of things they can do differently. This is not one of them. There was a guy a oneness guy i may have said this i say this stuff so much now i forget how who i'm who i've told it to but there was a guy that called me up he liked me and he said hey man i thought yeah I, like i really respect you and then i told him i believed in the trinity and i believed that god the son died on the cross for sinners and he said no the, the christ left him at the cross now this is supposedly a christian he called himself a oneness And then when I said, no, Jesus died as God on the cross, he said, well, then that would mean that God died. I said, absolutely. (laughs) He laughed at me. He said, man, I can't believe it. I really respect you. The Spirit made sure you know that Jesus heard at the cross, this is my son. And at the baptism, this is my son. The Lord Jesus called the cross his baptism. In John chapter 12, he said, shall I not drink the baptism? He says, now is my baptism and my soul is distressed. It was going to be hard, but that's what we believe. We believe a God who is glorious enough to be God, yet humble enough to serve man and become and identify with humanity and die on behalf of sinners. Whoever has the son has this testimony, verse 10, in themselves. Do you? Jehovah's Witnesses don't. They don't believe this. Muslims don't. They don't believe this. Many Jews don't. They don't believe this. The oneness, many of them don't. Cults don't. Only those born of God don't minimize it. If you don't have the son, this son, you don't have life. So he goes from a confidence The authenticity of a true faith produces a confidence. You've experienced the new birth, and you've evidenced it. You believe not just because, ah, I don't see anything else that's contradicting it. You've heard the testimonies that God puts forth, and you say, I believe God. But then, briefly, the second portion of this the assurance of Christian believers. This whole series, one of the main objectives and aims of this series was because Pastor Dahadi and I were talking about not only people not remaining firm in these beliefs, but other people being unsure that this is the belief you should hold firm to. Perhaps what people are selling that's new and improved is new and improved. But there is assurance that is false assurance in the Bible, and there is good assurance in the Bible. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7? He says, there are going to be people who say, did not I do a lot of stuff for you? I prophesied. I did mighty works in your name. Shoot, I even drove some demons out of some people in your name. And God, Jesus says, and I will look at him, and I will say... I'm sorry. What's your name again? I do not know you. I never knew you. And in the words of a Presbyterian pastor, Sinclair Ferguson, I think he captured it. You're delusional. You're delusional. You think that you have the assurance of being mine, but I'm here to tell you that was false assurance. I never knew you. And he rightly said, false assurance always speaks about what we have done But those who have the biblical assurance speak about the fact they don't deserve anything, they haven't done anything, and everything that they do warrants God's rejection. But then you say, but what he has done for me is what I'm trusting in. So what are the confidences? Where is the assurance coming from? Well, the confident Christian can be assured that God is for us. Verse 13 to 17. I write these things to you who believe in the Son of God that you may know. Be confident. Be assured that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. In other words, God is for you. As we sang it, I said, amen, because it's in the text. We sang it. He says, so here's the confidence. God is listening to you. See, the world thinks God's just listening to prayers because that's what God does. He sits up in heaven and he just hears prayers. The Bible doesn't talk like God is just listening to the prayers of the globe. The Bible talks like this is the confidence. The ones who believe in the name of the Son, he hears you. He stoops down to hear you. He gives attentiveness to your prayer. He's for you. He says, ask anything according to his will. He hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know that we have. This prayer is an open invitation. It tells you that the Father is for you. And he wants you to know that as his children. This is why we have to stop easy believism. This is why we have to stop making it so nothing to just waltz up and make the claims of Christians. Because all of this is predicated on being in him, believing in him, being reborn in him, what God has done in him. It's not me, it's the word, family. He predicates it. I write these things to you who believe. I'm not talking to random people who kinda like that deal. You who have cast your lot on him, who have the testimony in him. He says that you, so you can know you have, so you can have assurance. You have that life. Eternal life is not just an unending life. Eternal life is the life of God that he provides. And it says that you have it presently in this, this life that's God's life will not cease. It's unending, but it's also a certain quality of life. Prayer is that. So much so, for the sake of time, let me skip forward, he says, because we're a community, there's one place of prayer you know God wants you to to really apply this principle, and that is, verse 16, if anyone sees a brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. This is complicated. I always seem to get the complicated passages, it feels like, but I will say this. What he's basically doing is he's delineating people. He says, if anyone sees a brother committing a sin not leading to death, Christians commit sins that don't lead to death. Now, if this is physical death, we know that people can commit sins and die because of it. But that's probably not what's going on here, but that's true too. Don't sin because you might die. That's true. But he says, but ask and he will give him life. So we don't think it's just physical because what life are you going to give him if he dies, right? So what he's saying is brothers commit sins and God can revive his commitment to the life in Christ. Now watch this. There is sin that leads to death. In their community, there were people who he said they're the spirit of antichrist. They commit the ultimate sin of rejecting Christ in full knowledge. They've heard it all before, and they say, I don't want that. He says that sin ends in death. The rejection of the gospel and the rejection of Christ with all the information (laughs) leads to death. Hebrews chapter 6 talks about it. Read it when you go home. He says, pray for sinners when they sin, sins that don't lead to death. He doesn't say you can't pray for sinners who, who, sin, who, who, who have uh, committed the sin that leads to death. He doesn't say don't. He just says, I'm not telling you to. There again, he's delineating. So basically what he says is for sinners is pray for sinners. Pray for the sinners in your community. Don't gossip. Go to God. He says don't shun them. Pray for them that God would give them life. There was a time when I witnessed an excommunication and the church was mad at the sinner and they thought it was their holy duty to shun the sinner. Somebody told them that what they were doing were good. They went and then had a solemn assembly of prayer and never prayed for the sinner, even during the solemn assembly. This is what it means, that God is for you and he's for your sinning brother. So apply scripture to the sinning brother because you have what you ask. God will give them life. <laughs> oh, well. You also have confidence because he's freed us. He's for us. He's freed us. I'm almost finished. 18 and 19. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. You have confidence that God is for you. You have confidence that God has freed you from habitual sin. Verse 19, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. God has freed you. The Bible says he's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son. The Bible says that we have been dead in Christ so we could be freed from sin and death and we've been made alive to newness of life. The symbol of baptism is going down to the old you that was in the cycle of sin and brought up to the new you that's now going to be in the cycle of righteousness. He says you can have confidence and assurance as you see that God has freed you from the life of sin and then protect you now to Him who's able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before His presence with exceeding joy. The Bible makes clear that Jesus Christ says, No one can pluck them out of my hands, not even a professional plucker. Shout out to Flame. And anything that you protect, it demonstrates that you love. I hate apple care because right when I think I've spent enough, I'm reminded, Oh, yeah, apple care. <laughs> And then I say, ah, but I better protect it because I like what I just spent all this money on. God says he protects him. The evil one does not touch him. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. He knows where you live and he protects you on these streets. He knows where you live and he comes for you. He knows that we're dis- we're-, we're debating what happened in Wisconsin. He knows that we're going to debate what happens in Georgia. He knows that there is cosmic injustice and there is systemic injustice because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. But God has a family that inside of that injustice, that inside of that systemic and cosmic uh, situation he protects them you can have confidence because if you believed in Jesus he's for you and he's freed you and lastly he fortifies you 20 and we know that the son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his son Jesus Christ he is the true God and eternal life listen to that We are in him. We know him who is true. We are in him who is true. We are fortified and the only one who is true. And look what he says about Jesus he is the true God and eternal life. Hmm. My conclusion can really just be this verse 21. We've talked about Christians. Christians who have experienced the new birth and they've evidenced it. Doctrinally, they believe the right thing about Jesus. Socially, they love people who know Jesus. It's not just exclusive. You can love all. The Bible says do good to all, but especially the household. So there's a particular call to love believers. And then ethically, this is love that we obey the commandments. We keep God's commandments. But then there's also the assurance, the confidence we have because of the testimony of God and the testimony He's placed in us. And if you believed in the name of the Lord Jesus, you've got the right one, baby. He is the Son. He gives us understanding. We know him who is true. And because he is true, stay away from cheap substitutes. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. (laughs) There's something called a poker face. A poker face is when you don't want somebody to know what you're working with. And that you believe what you're working with is better than what they're working with. You know why? (laughs) Because victory is written on our face. (laughs) There are people who would hedge their bet. Oh, no, no, no. I fold. I fold. Ah, you got something, right? You want them to. Not that I play, but I'm just saying. (laughs) You know that if you really think you've overcome, if you really think you're the victor, it's written on your face. He says, I write this to you who believed on the Son of God so that you would be confident you have eternal life in his Son and it would be written all over your face. We call him Jesus, Jesus. That's what we call him. Manger born, but on a tree he died to save humanity. (laughs) He's the living word. Amen? Amen? Amen.